I'm Conrad Swift, and this is the Cardano Convo Podcast, a weekly podcast that gives a glimpse into the Cardano ecosystem. The Cardano Convo provides an easy-to-digest explanation of the projects that are being built, thoughts, and what's going on within the Cardano community. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and follow now on your favorite apps like Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, or wherever podcasts are available. Today, I will be speaking with Aiden Rankin-Williams, the community director of Player Mint, a Cardano-based project that aims to bring cryptocurrency integration into gaming. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hello, Aiden. It's nice to have you on the show, and thank you for taking the time to talk with us today and answer a few questions about the work you've been doing with Player Mint. Of course. Thanks for having me. So... First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, what drew you to crypto in general? Awesome. So my name is Aiden Rankin-Williams. I guess my background is kind of from a little one. I've always been a builder or someone that likes to kind of create and deconstruct things. So my past was full of, as I was a kid, kind of playing with Legos, building up all of these kind of creations, taking them apart, kind of making my own things out of the packs I'd get for Christmas or go and buy at the store. So I was a big Lego kid. And I think that kind of, as I grew up, I kind of kept that trend going. And, uh, you know, kind of throughout high school, I was actually a, a parkour instructor. So I'm not sure if you've ever seen videos of people kind of jumping around, climbing up buildings. Yeah. That, yeah. So kind of became a builder that was a very energetic kid, you know, kind of went into the world of parkour, which has helped me a lot in crypto because parkour is all about progressions and, and how do you break down one fluid motion into many different parts. So that kind of goes to that idea of building and deconstructing things. Um, and then kind of after high school, I entered the crypto space in about 2017. Um, kind of started off with the big video for me was Charles Hoskinson's TED Talk. So that's kind of what, yeah, like that's kind yeah. of what made holy, you know, wow, like blockchain is really something that's powerful and you can do amazing things with. Um, so kind of learned about crypto from there. And of course, if Charles Hoskins is your intro to, to blockchain, you know, you go down that rabbit hole where then you watch that that famous whiteboard video and then you're kind of in going down the Cardano rabbit hole. So my, my path has kind of uh, been a fun one in terms of, of learning about crypto and joining in at a bull market and then, you know, fighting through the, the very long crypto winter. Oh, yeah. There was that huge drop off at the beginning of 2018. And I have to say, didn't have the same start. But once I saw those videos, the whiteboard, Mm -hmm. I saw the TED talk. It wasn't disparaging about anything. It was more so here are things that could be built upon it. It just opens your eyes. Most certainly. Um, There's that there's that paradigm shift where it for at least for me, it takes a while to simply, you hear the words and you understand what it's supposed to do, what blockchain revolutionizes, but it takes so long because you're so used to, well, hey, I need a third party actor in order to complete these actions or something of that nature. So it takes so long for you to be like, wait, I can do things in a peer-to-peer way. And all I need to do is trust a code base. I don't need to trust any third party or individual. It's kind of, yeah. yeah, that's auditable. And you can look at the code yourself. You can audit code. You can look at the code and go, oh, here's how it works. And mm-hmm. as you said, it, it is, is a little, it's a little abstract to start with. But totally. once you jump in, you're like, oh, that's how that works. So it's almost like once you get your feet wet, you're like, got it. I know what I'm doing now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you give our audience a general or detailed explanation of what is Player Mint and what niche this platform will fill? 
Of course. So Player Mint is a way for people to have a more rewarding gaming experience, simply said. How that gaming experience becomes more rewarding is, is through two factors. The first factor is a fungible token. So we want to provide uh, gamers the capacity to get paid to play video games based off of their performance in those video games, right? So the first video game that we want to support is Fortnite. And basically what we're going to allow people to do is, is create a wallet, link their Fortnite account, and then all they have to do is go off and play Fortnite. And what we're going to do is use an API to gather data on that person's gameplay performance. Then we're going to compare that to every other user in our system. And dependent on how much skill they have in that video game, they will get rewarded our fungible token PMX. So you can almost think of that in a similar method towards how like Bitcoin mining works, where you have you know, computers solve uh, competing to solve complex math equations through the use of processing power. So processing power kind of acts as this resource that determines your likelihood of earning Bitcoin as a block reward. So we kind of, uh, our resource, instead of being, you know, processing power, it's kind of skill in these video games. Uh, and then, yeah, and then the other factor of player mint is the non-fungible token side. This is kind of... Uh, where the user kind of gets to create their own items and digital assets. So as a player mint user, you kind of earn that fungible token PMX off of gameplay performance. And then you're able to interact with an NFT system where you can mint and exchange NFTs all through the token that you earn from gameplay performance. So, you know, maybe you're minting a cool piece of art or maybe you're a game dev and you want to mint an NFT inside of your video game that acts as a really cool sword that people can also sell on a secondary marketplace. So that's kind of player mint at a high overview. We want to allow people to, to have a more rewarding experience through getting paid to play video games and being able to mint their own virtual creations. That sounds phenomenal. I mean, yeah. We've seen quite a few, quite a few platforms that use the pay or play to get paid type mm. method. I'm sure you've heard of like gods unchained yeah. things of that nature. Oh, and so I know that you're building this on Cardano and a lot of applications are being built on Ethereum and other blockchains. Mm. And there are a lot of options out there. So what made you and your team decide to build it on Cardano? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it kind of goes back to, well, one, my my introduction, my kind of baptism into Cardano or to, to blockchain in general was through a, Charles Hoskinson video. So my, my kind of roots in blockchain are, are tied back to Cardano and Charles himself. So, and the same thing with uh, the other founder of PlayerMint, Grant Scholl. So because our introduction to blockchain was through Charles Hoskinson, we had kind of formed a connection with Cardano and an interest to it. So as it was being developed since 2017, we had kind of followed along its progress, always watching Charles Hoskinson's AMA videos, the whiteboard videos, anything produced by IOG or, I, or IOHK, whichever kind of one you want to go for. Um, and, and from there, what we kind of detected was is that Cardano had such a unique approach to blockchain because what they were focused on is, is building quality fundamentals, quality technology that was then peer reviewed and then built and then tested toward an extreme before it was given out to the you know, public to actually use and, and, and operate with. So I think what they did with Shelly was a great example of that, where they developed a, a proof of stake protocol by first proving that it was feasible. Because this was back in the day when people didn't even know if proof of stake was a, was a, you know, a, a feasible consensus algorithm for blockchains. Yeah. So 
they made sure it was possible and then they went off and built it. And then when they integrated it into the system, they first launched it with like an incentivized test net to have a test environment where they could still pay people for contributing con to consensus on the blockchain, but not actually having it in a live environment where if something would break, it'd be highly damaging. So we, we chose Cardano because they have quality fundamentals towards approaching the way that they're building technology. And they have a history of doing so with Shelly and already what we're seeing with the Gogan era with kind of the uh, different colors of the Gogan rainbow that are coming out. So among the technology, but also then you have the community, the technology and these fundamentals breeds a community of people who are not focused on price appreciation, but rather what is a, a world-changing adoption that can occur? How can we build a true blockchain that's going to become the next financial operating system that's actually going to change the way that people, you know, alter the way that they actually interact with finances and kind yeah. of interact with things? So we chose it because of its vision, the way it's being built, and then the actual technological process it has. Like, for example, Babel fees will be a really powerful instrument for us where all a PlayerMint user needs is PMX in order to operate with the system. So new users because we're, we're building a platform for gamers, a lot of these users might not have previous experience with blockchain. So the concept that they need to hold some sort of asset to pay for gas fees in order to move a token that is kind of on that asset's blockchain might be kind of a weird idea to them. So the concept of needing to hold Ethereum in order to you know, move around a, an Ethereum-based token might be weird to someone that doesn't understand blockchain. Whereas with Babel fees, we don't have to do so. Yeah. Um, so I think there was, there's a variety of factors, but it ultimately comes down to Cardano just has a brilliant approach to building blockchains because they take their time so that they make sure when, when the live product hits the market, it, it's something that works well. Yeah. Oh, no. Cardano is very much, it seems, they don't want to go Silicon Valley style, mm -hmm. run in, break things, and patch it up later. It's exactly. And as I believe Charles said, I'm not going to get the quote completely right. It's don't you want to know that the math adds up, that what we promise you can mm. be done. And they do that. So, no, it's phenomenal in that aspect. I completely agree. Yeah, um, I, think it, I think it goes down to its very name of input output. In terms of my, my grant, the other founder actually explained this to me a while ago. And it was something that really made it all click to me is, is input output. It's in the very name this kind of concept of garbage in, garbage out. If you have a large input, a lot of work on the input side of things, the output is going to be this beautiful, very functional tool. And I think Cardano really lives up to that, to that dev group name of, of IOG or Input Output Global. Oh, most certainly. Um, I know you talked or touched on it just a little bit ago, but can you talk a little bit about how the Player Mint platform might be interoperable with other gaming platforms like Epic? That is... How would player meant be able to track the earnings from the game mm -hmm. and how would a particular game send over data to convert to crypto tokens and or NFTs? Of course. Yeah. So uh, I meant, as I mentioned earlier, Fortnite is going to be our first game that we support. And there's a few reasons why we chose it. But the major two was one, you have a very active, large global user base in two Epic Games, the developers behind Fortnite, have a massive focus on developing the metaverse or turning Fortnite into a metaverse platform. 
how they're doing that is, is by offering tools to any third party creators so that they can interact with Fortnite and use it as a platform. So they actually developed this awesome list of tools that we're going to be using called Epic Online Services that allows you to do things like, you know, account authentication, you know, stat tracking, friend lists, you know, login information, uh, integrations between actual games outside of Epic Games themselves. They'll even allow you to do non-Unreal Engine games, which is Unreal Engine is, a, is an engine built by uh, Epic Games itself. So we chose... Epic Games offers all of these wonderful services for us to integrate with their platform that we can kind of make sure that the APIs we have and the account authentication we have is directly from the developer as, a, as opposed to kind of a third-party solution. So I, I think Epic Games is really good in that regard. In terms of how we integrate with the games themselves, uh, Epic Games is actually, with Fortnite, going to create something called Creative 2.0. And this is where players that are, are enjoying Fortnite right now can go in and they can create their own maps through a tool set called Creative, which wow. is basically like if you've ever played, you know, Halo Forge, it's kind yeah. of like that. Yeah, where, or <laughs> it's kind of like this environment where you have all of the existing kind of assets in Fortnite and you can build whatever you want with them. Creative 2.0 is when they open that up so you can now make your own assets that don't have to be previously Fortnite-based. So they're essentially giving all Fortnite users access to the entire Unreal Engine. And with that, what we want to do is create an SDK so that people in game devs can go into Fortnite and can connect PlayerMint to it through this SDK so that they could create their own game on top of Creative 2.0 or this metaverse platform, and they can mint NFTs inside of it that can then be transacted in a secondary marketplace. Oh, so wow. that's kind of where we're headed in terms of and why we chose Epic Games as, as kind of the main platform that we want to integrate with. Okay. Um, what were some procedural or legal hurdles that PlayerMint had to overcome? I'd imagine for large gaming platforms like Epic to mm. authorize the use of PMX currency in one of its most popular games, your team must have delivered quite the pitch. Yeah, so so uh, in terms of legal hurdles uh, in, in, in dealing with Epic Games in particular, um, Epic has some past with cryptocurrency. For a while, they were actually accepting Monero as a... As a payment option for their merch store. Um, I think, unfortunately, some things didn't work out with that payment processor. So I don't think that that is, is currently live. But, but as I was saying, with this Epic Online Services, this tool set that allows third parties to integrate with uh, Fortnite in, in other Epic games, um, we are actually able to use that. So we don't need direct permission from Epic Games in order to build this platform which is quite brilliant because we they've offered up this tool set and they're inviting people in to build on top of their platform because they have that focus on developing the metaverse. Uh, so luckily we didn't have to deal with that. We definitely had to deal with a lot of legal hurdles. Like for example, we're currently going down uh, the route of seeking funding via Project Catalyst, um, which is the Cardano-based kind of crowdfunding platform where Projects are able to submit proposals to Project Catalyst, and then holders of ADA can vote as to whether those proposals deserve funding or not. Um, so we decided to go down that route as opposed to selling something like a, a token sale, because what we just felt like is, is there wasn't clear regulations as to if you're selling a token in the efforts of raising funding to the SEC, that seems like a security and not a utility. And because of that, we didn't want to get to the point where something like what's happening with Ripple right now, where the SEC says, hey, you know, you all, you know, in the hopes that we become successful, have a massive user base. 
then the SEC could look at us and say, well, hey, you all had a token sale for, you know, 50,000 PMX and you sold all of these essentially as unregistered securities, you're going to get, you know, in big trouble for doing so. So we decided to stay away from that. Um, and then also figuring out things like money transmitter licenses. How do you make it so that the protocol is decentralized so you don't essentially look like a, a centralized service that is almost acting like a bank in terms of uh, being a custodian of people's assets or distributing them out? So we've kind of had to figure out the legal gray areas in that waters. Um, but we've, we've been feeling good about how we've been traversing it. And we have a, a contact with a good firm called Kranz and Associates that has knowledge on, on how do you do things uh, in a legal way within the blockchain sphere. Oh, most certainly. I didn't even know about the Monero side. I didn't know yeah. Epic was accepting that like at the beginning. I'd never yeah. heard of that. Um, yeah. And I also know with a lot of the legalities, especially in the United States, they're working on trying to figure out how they want to go about this. So mm -hmm. the problem is, even if one had a good idea, oh, this is how we should go about it. The lawmakers could just go, we're going to register it as this instead, because yeah. it's kind of seen as like five different things right now. and then they could just find one facet that they want to take you to court on. And you're like, I did everything one could at the time, but then because they go, this is how it, you should have done it. Then without that hindsight, I mean, you can't you're, do a yeah. whole lot about that. So it's probably the safest way is to try to find that nice middle ground that you guys are aiming for. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely want to make sure that we we seek legal advice before we go off and do anything. We don't want to create a system that, you know, some regulatory body can come in and, and start poking holes in. Oh, exactly. Um, another thing I wanted to ask about the PMX token is what determines the value of PMX in terms of what players need to achieve in a game? For example, if PMX faces big fluctuations in its market price, mm -hmm. will the player have to put in more or less effort to obtain PMX? with mm. a comparable value or a comparable amount of monetary value? Awesome. Yeah, great question. So in terms of, of PMX, I'll, I'll take the kind of the PMX distribution side of that question. So players get paid to play video games in terms of their skill-based performance uh, basically translates into a placement on a leaderboard where your skill is kind of compared to everyone else's. And then depending on where you rank in that leaderboard, you get a, a certain amount of PMX. So in terms of, of the amount of PMX someone earns fluctuating based off the price, that won't happen. People will still receive the same amount of PMX depending on their placements. Just the monetary value of that in like maybe a fiat-based currency, it, its representative value will fluctuate depending on the, the actual currency's value. Um, in terms of what gives PMX value. When I think about cryptocurrencies or assets in general, I think that the value of things really is determined by two factors. And, and one factor is it, it's how easy is it to obtain it or earn it? And then the other factor being what can you then do with it once obtained? Um, so for example, if you think about that in terms of water, water is an extraordinarily valuable asset. Yeah. We all need it to survive, but because it's so easy to obtain at the moment, it doesn't have a very large value in terms of a gallon of water doesn't cost a massive amount of money. So in terms of PMX, how you obtain it is through that gameplay performance. So how our model works is, is that it's going to be harder and harder to obtain it when the, there's more and more users within the system and also when there's when those users have more skill. So if you're if the user base that's competing for PMX is large and it's very skilled, that the value of PMX 
you could expect it to rise because there's more actors competing for that currency. And on the other side, you have what can you do with it? The big thing that you can do with it is that NFT kind of marketplace where you can use PMX to mint NFTs and then you can use PMX to transact those NFTs. So those NFTs almost act as like anchors and stability of the value because they almost back PMX because you need PMX in order to interact with them. So that whole NFT marketplace, and that becomes more and more expansive when you have more NFTs inside of it. Uh, and those NFTs are, are interoperable when we do things like integrate with Creative 2.0, and you're able to use those NFTs in things like video games. So our big focus as a company is, is how do we construct a really beautiful distribution model so people get paid to play video games in a fair and predictable manner? And then how do we create a really unique, amazing experience where people can interact with an NFT marketplace and have a lot of utility for their token so that they can have great interactions with other users and, and just enjoy earning it themselves? Almost certainly. So this would be similar to how, as you said before, mining. So it's mm. more like skill-based mining. For example, if you're, I don't know many Fortnite pros, but like if you're the allier, I guess, of mm. Fortnite, you're, it would be the same as being one of the bigger miners on Bitcoin. So exactly. you'd have a better chance of getting that. But of course, even if you've, you're one of the biggest miners per se, or if you're allier or whatever professional, if you're not playing, you're not earning PMX. Exactly. Exactly. In, in the process of, the cool thing is, is that we actually don't interrupt the gamer's experience in terms of what we're doing is, is we're creating our distribution model or, or how people earn it. That stat-based performance is we're just going to try to make that the best representation of what skill is in Fortnite. And that's going to start very simple off with just being a measure of eliminations or maybe a mixture of eliminations and deaths, like someone's KDR. And then we want to make that stat more and more comprehensive as to what actually takes skill to play Fortnite or when we integrate with other games in the future, what truly takes skill to play this game? Let's make sure that we have those you know, stats represented in our distribution model and uh, we'll, we'll kind of progress it and make it as uh, uh, you know, accurate as possible. Oh, most certainly. So to keep that level of balancing so mm -hmm. you're not valuing one section over the other. Oh. Exactly, exactly. So to build on that, what? so would the rules of PMX payouts from different games vary based on popularity and or difficulty level of each game? In other words, what policy or approach are behind the economics or tokenomics of PMX in regards to different games? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. So right now we are focusing, we have a very iterative approach to development in terms of we like to build something, make sure it works, optimize it, and then take the next step towards building the next thing. So that's why we're currently just focusing with launching Fortnite first and then fully optimizing it, getting a community behind it before integrating with another game. I think in terms of the amount, when you're, when you're kind of saying, hey, if we have this pot of PMX or this prize pool of PMX and we need to determine how much of it is going to go towards paying gamers in Fortnite or how much is going to go towards playing gamers in maybe chess or poker, uh, I think what we would do is, is look at how many users on PlayerMint are playing those games. So like how many API requests are we making towards Epic's online services to grab Fortnite data versus how many are we going towards 
whatever chess platform API there is out there in order to ensure, you know, how many players and what their stats are in that, that kind of chess game or, or if it was Call of Duty or Super Smash Bros, whatever it may be. Yeah. So I think it would determine on the amount of players that we have inside of our ecosystem would determine the kind of fluctuations of how much PMX is distributed out to each game in player. We don't have a set model in, in mind, but um, like I said, our approach to development is very iterative. So if anyone has any suggestions in terms of the best way to go about that, we are, we are super open to hearing it. Almost certainly. And I imagine it'll be different for each game. For example, yeah. I'm sure League of Legends is going to be different from Fortnite, which is going to be different from like Magic the Gathering Arena. I imagine exactly. as each game is its own, I imagine difference between genres, difference between mm-hmm. games, that's going to have a lot of variance, especially how the leaderboard functionalities work between each of these games. So, yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely want to get in contact with the game, the, the players themselves and say, hey, Fortnite players, hey, League of Legends players, what what stats actually matter in this game? And, and I think from there, if we ask what stats actually matter, we can get kind of a representative sample as to, hey, you know, don't just do kills. You also got to add in, you know, objective plays and, and, and all that kind of fun stuff. OK, um, a question in regards to the NFTs. Right now, we know NFTs are quite hot. What mm-hmm. kind of NFTs can we expect from Player Mint? With a huge mm-hmm. variety of games hosted on Epic, the player demographic and interests will also be very diverse in the sense that everyone may value different kinds of NFTs, trading cards, mm-hmm. in-game skins, pets, and so on. Mm, totally. No, that's a, that's a wonderful question. So how we kind of see Player Mint progressing towards the future, the model I've been kind of describing is, is a more rewarding experience for gamers. Where we want to eventually end up is is kind of becoming the economic backbone of the metaverse or, or kind of this shared virtual space. So in terms of what we're trying to create from an NFT perspective, what we really want to build is a toolkit where the user themselves can determine what types of NFTs they want to build. So much how, you know, people are being really creative with maybe like more of a crypto punk model where there's kind of like, you know, I, I add in all these specifications and then I have this random, you know, parameter where, you know, you're going to have similar looking characters, but they're each going to have kind of some sort of unique factor. Or maybe I just want to do a one-off creation of kind of some sort of cool picture, or maybe I want to have it be more like, you know, sandbox or Decentraland where the NFT actually has some sort of you know, display inside of a virtual environment. So I think what we're going to do is, is, is work towards creating a toolbox where users can kind of create any type of NFT that they'd like. What we're going to start off with is probably more of just those visual-based items. And then once we can, we'll kind of move on towards the actual in-game items where people can use them inside of that Fortnite experience. So it kind of depends on, on where we are in the development process, but it will definitely start off with more of the visual-based kind of trading cards and then move towards NFTs that have more, I guess you could say, off-chain utility or off-chain value. Of course. I'm glad you taught or you touched on Decentraland because mm. Decentraland has the system where you get a property or you buy a property of land, you can edit that property, you could resell it in the same way that if you have PMX, use it to mint an NFT Mm. and then try to sell it on the marketplace itself, which I imagine, as you said, you may have small use cases at the beginning, but just as NFTs right now, we're seeing tokens, we're seeing like pictures, art, etc. But in the future, we might see like deeds or leases or Mm. things being on NFTs. I imagine... and with almost all development, it's 
procedural. You're going to start smaller, but hopefully get towards bigger or more use cases as time goes on. So mm-hmm. almost certainly, I imagine it will take time to get to the end result and it'll probably start small, but end up much bigger. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you start off with those trading cards, those kind of more fun, almost just like the digital art side of NFTs. But then of course, like I said, we, we want to progress towards that you know, economic backbone of the metaverse where it's like now a player mint NFT can represent, you know, a plot of land inside of, you know, creative 2.0 or, or it can represent an awesome piece of armor that you can use across a variety of games developed with the Unreal Engine. Okay. Um, another question is, is there a beta version that early investors can test out? If so, how can the audience get access to that? Otherwise, mm-hmm. when can we look forward to seeing player mint in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. So one idea we've been playing around with is, is do we want to do our own sort of incentivized test net where we kind of have like a, a small group of users that are kind of our, our early adopters and kind of provide them a test environment to enjoy Um, so that's one idea that we've had, but at the current moment, we aren't planning on doing any sort of beta or kind of, you know, pre-release for a specific group of people. Our kind of thoughts is, is once the platform is live and developed and it's able to launch post Gogan, we kind of just want to, after we make sure that the code is, is secure and we've done an audit on it, we want to release it to the public and kind of allow anyone that wants to interact with it, the, the chance to interact with it. Our thought is, is that regardless, our early adopters will be kind of the first people to make an account, create a wallet, start earning PMX. So they'll kind of have that you know upper hand there. So we aren't planning on doing any sort of early launch in terms of, of an actual kind of thing that people can start interacting with. That's a bit more tangible. We are... Very recently, I'm not sure when this video is going to launch, but very soon we're actually about to receive the first draft designs of the Player Mint product from our dev group. So once those designs are kind of signed off on, what we want to do is create a a very just kind of visual-based only, there's not really a back end to it, demo of the Player Mint experience so that I can share it with anyone that wants to use it and they can kind of click through the actual, you know, application and and kind of get an experience for what the product is like and, you know, have that visual element and kind of understand how they would go about earning and creating an account and sending PMX. Um, And then once it's live, we'll of course put the back end in there, but, but that's kind of in terms of uh, interactability, that's kind of the route that we're going down. Okay. Um, now I'm going to ask you some game-related questions so that mm-hmm. our audience can get to know a little bit more about you now that we've heard a little bit about Player Mint. So the first question is, what was your first video game you ever played? Ooh, ooh, that's a great question. I think, I think it goes back to my days of, I'd either have to say like games on like Game Fudge or Mini Clip, like something like, uh, uh, what was it called? Age of War where it has that great theme song, if everyone's played that, or um, like something like uh, on the GameCube, like uh, uh, the Mario Kart or uh, a Tony Hawk type of game. Yeah. Uh, in terms of my first kind of when I was a little kid, the first game that I really fell in love with, I'd have to say that would be like Star Wars Battlefront on the PlayStation 2. Was oh, like, that was like, that was really my bread and butter when I was like, I am a gamer. This is what I like doing. Yeah. yeah. I believe Xbox, like the original Xbox, had a version as well. Like, I don't know if it was multiplayer back then. Like, multiplayer is very iffy back then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was not, not, not as you know, quality yeah. crossplay experience that we have now. Yeah. Um. What was the first console you ever owned? I think first console, unless you count like you know my family's 
you know, Apple computer. Uh, the first console I ever had was my uncle actually gave me his PlayStation 2. So I kind of got to survive off of that. Like I said, played a lot of Star Wars Battlefront. I was a big fan of Dragon Ball Z as a kid, and so was all my yeah. buddies. So we absolutely loved playing, I think it was called Dragon Ball Z, Budokai, Kaiichi, yeah. <laughs> 2, 1, 2, and 3. And we absolutely, you get home after school and you're just jamming with your favorite characters, you know, playing Vegeta versus Trunks, all that fun stuff. Oh, exactly. Um, what is your favorite video game genre? Ooh, that's a great question. I have to say, I really love the kind of RPGs, in all honesty. I love, I love competitive games that I can play with my, my friends, like Fortnite and Warzone. But I got to say, games like Skyrim and Witcher 3 are absolutely what I, I love doing. I, I love kind of feeling as though I'm a piece of a world that I can actually have impact on. Like maybe I'm not the single focus of a world, mm -hmm. but I am a focus that can cause interactions and events to occur within this world. So I, I'd have to say something along the lines of Witcher 3 or Skyrim is definitely uh, my, my type of game. Oh, same. I'm sure we've all spent so many hours in, for example, Skyrim, or yeah. even after you've beaten the game because the modding community is so great, which seems to like kind of play into what Player Mint does, you have like this modding community, people building within it that gives the game so much more life exactly. because of that. Um, yeah. And also on the Witcher 3 thing, I'm working, I played it, I've even actually streamed it a, a while back, but I have not beaten that game. It's worth it. I've it's heard. worth it. I got yeah. it when it was on sale. I, I've heard it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And like, if you beat it, you have two extremely beautifully well-crafted DLCs to play through as well. Both of the DLCs that, that come with that game are absolutely fantastic and, and, and worth your time. Would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Oh, most certainly. Um, what is your favorite video game? Ooh, favorite video game of all time. I got to say Witcher 3. Yeah. I got to say Witcher 3, I'm going to give it to him. Uh, I just spent so many hours. Grant, the other founder of Player Mint, um, he actually got me into Witcher 3. Him and uh, uh, another buddy and I just absolutely grinded that game and played it for hundreds of hours. So that's got to be my all-time favorite. Yeah. Okay. What is your favorite multiplayer game? Mm, favorite multiplayer game. That's a tough one. Uh, I gotta say right now, it, 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 it's, it's going to either be a toss up between Warzone or Fortnite, um, kind of both those battle Royale modes. Um, I, if I'm feeling a little bit more competitive, I go towards the Warzone side because in my experience, uh, it's just, there's a lot more kind of sweatiness towards it. It's a lot more, you have to be really accurate with your aiming. Whereas in Fortnite, I've been playing it with Grant, the other founder, and we just have a good time. Like, you know, we're, we're driving around in big trucks and you're running into buildings and you're crafting up crazy things and you're going to NPCs in the game and you're paying a bit of gold in order to be turned into a random prop in the game. And we're running around as like a mailbox in a barrel and get, you know, <laughs> get into combat adventures and, you know, just kind of laughing and joking. So I, I, I'd, I'd have to give it to Fortnite or Warzone. Okay. Let's see. So are you more of a PC player or a console player? I, I, I'm at console stages right now, but I, I think where I want to get to is the PC world. Uh, I think just in terms of 
figuring out how do I, how do, I'd love to invest in a PC, but I need a portable computer. That's my big problem is I need a yeah. portable computer. So how, how can I invest in like kind of a desktop PC that's going to sit underneath my desk and give me all the graphics and, and processing power I need, but I can't, I need to be able to go to a coffee shop with my, with my main computer. So that's kind of my big problem right now. Just a heads up. If you do get a gaming laptop, it can get really hot. Um, I have the graphics card under one of them. So if you're using the WASD, it will burn your hand (laughs) if it gets too hot. I mean, it won't (laughs) literally burn. it. It gets really hot. So that's just something to keep in mind. And it can be a little loud, but they're... It's a nice, nice PC outside. It's a nice hybrid device. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of does the best of both worlds. So do you prefer PVP? So player versus player games or aspects, or do you prefer the PVE or player versus everyone aspect? Mm. Mm. I like a mix in all honesty. I like, I like the elements of, I can enjoy kind of a, a player versus everyone um, in terms of I'm going out in the world and fighting mobs with my buddies and kind of grinding up that loot in more of like a Borderlands style game. Uh, and then I, I like games that like, for example, Destiny did a great job of this, where you go out with your buddies, you grind the loot, you, you kill the bosses, you do all of these kind of missions together, and then you can jump into a mode where then you put all of those kind of you know, weapons and gear that you earned to the test against in a like kind of PVP format. So I like the ones that, that allow you to bridge over. Oh yeah. The mixture. So you're rewarded. You can't just focus purely on PVP. And if you're doing just pure PVE, it's a yeah. good mixture. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite board game? Board game. Okay. That, 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 interesting That's that a little different. That. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. Uh, I'd have to say Catan. Catan I, has been it's, an absolutely amazing game. If anyone here has has is into kind of tokenomics or mechanism design or, or how incentives work, the game of Catan is built in such a beautiful manner where the incentives are so beautifully constructed and work in such a way that every kind of move has some sort of benefit or, you know, kind of negative aspect of it. So I'd have to say Catan, I've been playing that a lot with my buddies lately. I have to back that. That is amazing. Catan have the expansion Seafarers expansion. It is a great game for friends. And as you said, you've got tokenomics, you've got risk reward, you've got strategy, a mixture of randomness that allows for some strategies. Even if you've got the best strategy, there's that, innate rubber banding effect that you might see in like Mario Kart style, but yeah. in a board game. It's yeah. Oh, that, I, that. And then what I love about Catan is the unspoken rules of it in terms of there is all of the capacity of open trade in terms of I can, you know, me and my buddies kind of can find some rules around what you can and can't do trading. Like you can't introduce outside elements into the game. Like, Oh, Hey man, I'll pay for, you know, a few gallons of gas. If you do this trade with me, it all has to be within the game, but there's cool things where it's like, you can almost say, Hey, like, you know, I'll move this robber to a certain location. If you give me a card or, or there's kind of these elements of the game where you practice your rhetoric and you, you have to construct these beneficial deals, especially in the end game. If you really want to kind of secure the win. Oh, so I love that aspect of it. And they can't be too beneficial because you don't want the other person to win. So you exactly. have to find that. Oh, exactly. No, it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you on that one for sure. To follow that up. What is your least favorite board? Ooh. The one that when they drag it out, you're like, <laughs> ah. 
I'm not going to lie. This might, this might annoy a few people in the audience, but I'd have to say Monopoly. It's just, I feel as though Monopoly has these beautiful concepts and it's this hallmark of a game, mm-hmm. but how do you win? There's no kind of, to me, it's like, there's no kind of clear discernible direction where I can have a unique strategy and take on it versus you. It's kind of like, well, I'm going to land at a spot. I'm going to buy that location. If I can, I'm going to build hotels on it. There's not a, I don't I, Monopoly. I'm going to have to go for Monopoly. I can agree with you there. It's a great game and it's fun, but you know, when they drag that board out, you're like, I'll make sure my schedule doesn't have anything for the next three yeah. hours. And yeah. then you have to like sit down at the beginning and be like, what rules are we playing by? Cause there's like 18 variations and we don't want so-and-so if you don't talk about it, you can't collect taxes in jail. It's like, well, the other version. Yeah. You can collect yeah, rent yeah. while you're in jail. Like why not? So, oh no, I, I feel you there completely. Um, do you have any other gaming hobbies that the audience might not know about? Mm. Like, do Ooh. you collect cards? Do you anything of that nature? No, not a big card collector. Um, I'd say in terms of the, hmm, that's a great question. No, <laughs> in all honesty, no, I, I kind of, I'm a, I'm a kind of the standard console gamer. Um, I'm a big, I love, I guess one interesting fact in terms of, it's kind of weird how I'm building a system that allow people to get paid to play Fortnite because I'm a big person that loves searching through the free to play sections of the, of like the PlayStation store or, you know, the Steam store. So I actually was able, Grant and I, the founder, that it's kind of funny how these stories keep coming back up, but we actually found Fortnite. I know it's going to sound a little bit weird, but we found Fortnite way before it actually blew up. And it was a very different game back then in the sense that combat was not focused on building. No one really knew that building was the preferred method of engagement. You were like, it's called Fortnite. So everyone was like, okay, I'm going to run around and shoot people with these guns. But where, when do I use the, the building? Because whenever I build something, I then I might build a fortress, but then I have to leave it because the, you know, the storm is closing in. Yeah. So no one was using like, oh, hey, if I see someone shooting at me, I'm just going to build a wall in front of me, which seems pretty self-evident. But uh, that, I guess that would be kind of one little unique factor. Um, but no, in terms of gaming, I, I, there's no kind of card collection or anything for me. But okay. yeah. Um, are you more of a Digimon or Pokemon type of person? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, Pokemon. Gotta say Pokemon. Uh, played that, you know, on, on my DS all the time, was playing some Pokemon. So definitely got it. Or, or getting the, the emulator on my phone to, yeah. play, to play like the Game Boy version. So yeah, Pokemon for sure. Okay. Um, on that, what was your favorite Pokemon game? Ooh, I had Pokemon Diamond. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Diamond. Nice. Um, what is your favorite Pokemon? Ooh. <laughs> there, there's one in particular, but I think that's kind of the standard answer. So I think I got to go for, um, I'm a big fan of, of Charmander. He was kind of my, my go-to. Uh, love the flame wheel attack. You know, I always yeah. thought on the DS, there wasn't a whole lot of really kind of wild animations towards the attacks. So mm-hmm. I, I got to say Charmander's kind of a, uh, or uh, kind of flame wheel attack was the, uh, yeah, was kind of my, my favorite for sure. Was your first answer going to be Pikachu? It was going to be a Charizard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is like, I can't really go there if I'm going to, if we're going to talk favorite Pokemon. Okay. Um, that's all the game questions I had. Um, 
This has been super informative, and I really appreciate you taking the time to chat today. Before we go, how can listeners get involved with what you're doing, or how can people best support you and your team? Oh, great question. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> so uh, if you want to get involved with PlayerMint, I would strongly recommend you head to the playermint.com. Uh, in that, if you scroll down, you'll be able to get access to all of our social media. And I'd really recommend joining in our Discord. I always make sure to check on the Discord frequently enough to the point where if anyone sends a message, if you ever have any questions, any thoughts, any ideas, any feedback, we're super open to any form of criticism or feedback. You're welcome to join our Discord and kind of talk to us in there. Um, and you can find that on, on playermint.com. So I definitely urge you to do that. Um, at the moment, we actually have a proposal in Fund 5 of Project Catalyst. So if you want to learn a little bit more about us, you can also check us out our, our, our Fund 5 uh, proposal. And of course, we will have all the links to their project down below. Um, again, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us and to educate us a bit about what's going on with Player Mint. Of course. It's my pleasure. I've had a wonderful time. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Cardano Convo podcast. If you want an easy way to help us out, make sure to share this podcast. That way we can grow our viewership and create a better podcast for you guys. Also, leave us a five-star review. And if you have feedback on today's episode, tweet us at Cardano Convo or send your emails to cardanoconvo at gmail.com. Also, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First, we'd like to thank our Patreons for sponsoring the podcast. Through our Patreon, we hold polls to decide who we should interview next, exclusive content, and so much more. Second is Loops Pool. If you're looking for a Cardano stake pool to delegate your ADA to, then think about delegating with Loops Pool. That's Loops, L-O-O-P-S. Again, thank you for listening and join us next week for more Cardano Convos.